Welcome to Two Arabs and a Podcast, a show with no limits. Dating, business, martial arts, self-defense, and the life of two Arabs in America. Arabs in America. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your hosts, the owner of Warrior Academy, the son of an immigrant, international traveler, black rank in Krav Maga, a jiu-jitsu practitioner, and Brazil's national champion, and of course, 2018 Self-Defense Instructor of the Year, a bodyguard and military combative instructors, none other than Franz Joined by his co-host, Omar Aswan, the owner of Warrior Tactical Training, published author, doctor of criminology, world traveler, fluent in four languages, a military combat contractor, and a first-generation immigrant. The show begins now. Welcome to another show of Two Arabs in a Podcast. I'm Omar Aswed. I'm joined today with Firas Adab. How's it going, Firas? Great. It's good feel to be back through this uh, fucking chaotic times <laughs> we've been in. And I bet people are sick and tired of hearing us. We're coming back. We're coming back. We're coming back. But now we're back. It is. It's overdue. Uh, it's been too long. Yeah, it's way been too long. But I think everybody understands the crazy times we're going. We're dealing with uh, a virus. <laughs> and then we're dealing with... Uh, Corrupt governments, as we've been talking about for how many years now? And then we're dealing with protesting, racism, um, police and corrupt cops. And I mean, everything like what, in the fucking four months? Pretty much. Oh, depression also. Uh, uh, exactly. We're talking about the Great Depression of money loss. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Crazy year. But uh, we're basically reestablishing re the podcast with a uh, new place to record, but also redoing the show in a new format. We have great guests coming up. We have a lot of new folks who are coming in uh, to be uh, our guests and talk about new topics. So stay tuned. We're definitely back. And today we have an amazing guest uh, who will be joining us today. Yeah, we were talking about rebranding for a minute because of the timing. And plus, now we have our own spot. We didn't have a spot. We were actually the whole time using Omar's place. And Omar got married, so right now his wife will throw, throw us out. <laughs> so we actually now have a studio in our in the academy. So that's a good thing. So actually, it'd be great when we get guests, you know, we can do like a double whammy. Let them finish their seminars and... We're here doing our uh, recording. So before we jump in with our guests, Omar, how's everything been with you? What have you been noticing lately? I mean, Good, minus the, all the COVID-19 crap. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of changes. I think a lot of, uh, you know, government regulations. A lot of things happened this year. I think it's a, a year that we didn't expect it to be so full of events. Uh, we started the year, you know, expecting positive year, but we ended up with Corona, shutdowns, uh, the crash of the, you know, the stock market, uh, thousands of people getting laid off. And of course, uh, I think the civil uh, uh, disobedience that's going on and, and people are fed up with racism. So there's a lot going on this year. Yeah, see, a lot of people, uh, I think they see our social media and, and they get confused about us. First of all, people thought like we're hardcore conservatives, <laughs> which I think it just comes with maybe they think, you know, they're Middle Easterners. They are. But then when they see us all tatted the hell out and yeah, drink, that throws and them know, off. Yeah, it kind of gets them more confused. And then we get people that think we're maybe full uh, liberal or anti. It's like, actually, we're neither. We're just people in the middle and we're just like honest um, how we feel. And we call bullshit as it's bullshit. And that like, again, I want to. We're not going to waste this podcast on what lately been going on, but we are really dedicating a podcast, especially about 
um, the government uh, stuff, we're talking about local-wise. I mean, at the federal level, everybody knows that. We're not bringing anything new to the table, so. But that being said, um, we got a great guest on with us today. So I'm gonna speak a little bit about this guy and then let him kick off. First of all, I call him my brother from another mother. Um, this guy, I call him also a treasure. When I mean he's a treasure, um, this man, literally, I've learned things from him and it, I'm not gonna speak of how we met and how we talked, but it's funny how me and him connected. And he is one of those, and I'm gonna say an asshole in a good way, and I think he's <laughs> laughing right now, Sid, but uh, that he's persistent to find some middle ground so he can talk with you. So that's a good thing. And he is basically the founder of Afro Brutality. He is like one of, I think, uh, I mean, one of his lists about CrossFit. I think he's been in the attention of CrossFit. With what's Very much on. so, yeah. Yeah, but I think Omar got a couple of things to say before we hand it down to Sin, so. Uh, no, about Afro Brutality, honestly, it's a, a great brand that's very, you know, very real. Uh, follow them on Instagram, uh, definitely check them out. We'll include the link. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially, he is always very real, very motivational and great articles that, uh, you know, uh, that he posts on a daily basis. And uh, uh, Sin has been in, you know, the trending uh, recently due to what happened with the CrossFit. Uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you saw that Greg, the CEO of CrossFit has came up with very uh, racist tweets and that kind of digged under the, the surface. Is this really just an accident of him tweeting racist crap or has this been going on and that's now people are noticing it. Um, and Sin has firsthand knowledge of that and he's one of the you know, first uh, African-American CrossFit owners and started that. And he's, you know, close with Greg himself and knows him on a personal level that he can talk about the systematic racism or racism in general within the CrossFit community and as a company. It was uh, surprising to me some of the stuff Sin put out. I know Sin, but I just didn't know what was going on. I mean, you've read those stuff, the tweets and all that shit stuff and text. I mean, it uh, surprised me. It is, it's yeah. very surprising. And honestly, uh, what I'm confused about CrossFit is, you know, there isn't, I don't see a lot of racism in other sports. You don't see that in bodybuilding. There's a lot of uh, African-Americans, Latinos, Arabs, present even MMA. And CrossFit is one of those sports that is mostly dominant white, mm -hmm. even as gyms or as, you know, competitions and something like that. It's very rare to see. Well, you were been involved in the bodybuilding and fitness stuff. See, I've never been. That's why, you know, I don't comment much I, other yeah. than I dated a person that owned a CrossFit gym and I literally... Felt that atmosphere. It was a weird atmosphere. Of course, that person, I know we got out and out and married somebody else and now they see different things in life. But I felt that, but I can never could pass a judgment because I don't know much about it. So yeah. that's why I've always been neutral. But I've been hearing from you because you've been, I mean, you did some body shows and stuff uh, when you were younger. Yeah, uh, like, and I was very, yeah, I did actually CrossFit in 2015. Mm. Yeah, uh, so, but I've always saw the, the games and and the CrossFit games, which is on TV now, yeah. it's mostly white. And that's why it's always confusing because you go to any other sport and there's a good representation of all ethnicities. And when you go to CrossFit, there isn't that. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if we still have Sin on the phone. Sin, are you there? Sin is here. All right. Perfect. So everybody, well, ladies and gentlemen, us. this is my brother from another mother, Sin Martinez. Just call me your fucking brother, man. <laughs> Makes it sound like my dad was creeping, you know, around the fucking country, man. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's my brother, Sin. <laughs> thank Sin you, thank how you doing, my brother? 
I'm good, man. Anytime I hear from you, you know the fucking deal. Yeah, I know, brother. I know. So, uh, you know the deal, brother. Um, we got the show here, and we, you know, we thought about it. We talked deeply. You've been involved in a lot of stuff lately. When I say, you know, with the what's the current events. But anyway, before we kick in that stuff, let's introduce you to our crowd. Let's speak uh, first about your own company, your baby, Afro Brutality. How did you come up with that company? What it stands for to you, and what does it stand for as a general message to everybody? You know, I've done a lot and had a lot of conversations with, let's just say my mother, who pretty much was the genius behind this, you know what I mean? And for the most part, for the most part, our conversations are pretty brand new. And the reason why I say that, I'm asking her questions and things that I've never asked her before, you know? I'm, I'm like, Ma, what, what, what was your idea with this? What was your idea with that? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. So the information I'm giving you is pretty much saying is, yes. you know, here I am. I grew up around militants, black militants, black executives, black introspective people, you know, people that understood black culture on a deep level. This was the 70s. So my mother, I had to watch her make that decision on, am I going to stay with the black community and fight or am I going to use my degree in accounting, use my certifications as a public, uh, as a certified public accountant to go after the big corporations and take care of myself, my son, and my family, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Her first contract came from Arthur Anderson, and this was early 70s, like maybe 73. So I was about two or three years old, and I watched her sign this very large deal with what we consider the epitome of accounting and accounting firm at that time. And that's what moved us to act when she decided we would not necessarily have direct contact with the black community or these black militants. She would talk to them and probably have lunch and stuff like that, but we literally lived, you know, outside of New York and upstate New York, um, which is like, you know, a few hours from the city in Rochester. And then that's where we, you know, stayed with her college friends and sort of, you know, kind of let her recalibrate what she wanted to do next. And because of so much death, you know, they exterminated the entire uh, body of the Black Panthers. And that was, you know, sort of an FBI move. You know, they infiltrated it and then just started to change everything or just kill them off one by one. And, uh, my mother thought that that wasn't the way that she wanted me to live my life or her to live hers. So when she got a chance to uh, better her life, she did. So when we moved to Acton, we actually stayed at a hotel for about six months. And I'm not wow. talking like... That's a long time in a hotel. hotel six. I'm talking like the Sheridan, you know, I'm talking like the Hyatt, like very upscale. So here I am, like three years old. I'm living in a hotel for six months and I'm going in the pool whenever I want and I'm ordering room service. I'm watching the Milky Mouse Club, you know, and, and back then it was black black and white TVs. This was before television. I mean color television. So some of the shows that I watch were in black and white, dude, and I'm in this luxury hotel at three years old, you know, just, just running things because I'm the little kid. I'm the only little kid in there. It just so happened that I was black. So I'm really giving you the background story of how this, you know, this that I created in terms of Afro brutality yes. came to be. You know, essentially, it, I was scared of white people. I mean, essentially, I got 
Essentially, I've got my mother telling me that the white man is the devil, uh, cops are racist pigs, like, you know, she's feeding me the narrative that she got from the Black Panther. And instead of, let's say, just letting me grow up to be Urkel or, or some other, you know, nerdy white or black kid, yeah. she decided she wanted me to grow up a black militant. And she made sure from the time I was a child that I understood the plight, I understood the struggle, I understood that I should be a part of this in some sort of way. So I made Abbott Brutality. So, so Abbott Brutality came from three major elements. Mm. One is my mother reading me stories about Huey P. Newton and H. Rep. Brown and Malcolm X at night, literally. So I didn't get the three little pigs. I didn't get, you know, uh, where's Horton now or, or no shit like that. I didn't get Dr. Seuss, man. I got Dr. Martin Luther King. You know what I'm saying? So I'm getting read this at night. My first room. Right. Once we got out of the hotel and we were in the hotel because they were still painting our house and doing all these things. That was one of the corporate incentives that she got when she saw signed with Arthur Anderson was that they had a relocation package. So they put us in a hotel until the house was done. And then my first room, you know, my mother, I, I, I don't know, I guess she wanted me to be cool and have a cool room. <laughs> so my mother gave me owl wallpaper. Now, I'm not talking like the cute little owls that you would see, let's say, on car cartoons. I'm talking about the ones with the moon behind them and they're staring at you and you the scare creepy the ones. shit. So here I am listening to Black Militancy at night and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to fall asleep with owls watching me. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> It was damn near insane, but, you know, to a certain extent. Uh, when I read or heard these stories, man, I would wait till my mother left the room and I would just cry myself to sleep because I just couldn't imagine that people would do this to other human beings. You know what I mean? Whether on purpose or by accident, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the third combination is growing up with Ghost Rider and that was my favorite comic book. So that kind of introduced the concept that a skull could represent a human head. You know oh, that's I mean? cool. Like, that's going to make my son more crazy. Skin. It didn't <laughs> need a good. face. It could just be a living skull that yeah. had a body attached to it. Yeah. The last element was the pick. Now, a lot of people don't know that Afro pick that's in his hair. And I'm yes. talking about my original logo. It has a middle finger instead of a power fist um, on, the Af on the Afro pick. And I did this because... Um, because I, you know, like I just said, at two years old, I'm swimming in the pool. And guess what happens to a, a little black boy's hair when he's in the pool, man? It makes it dappy as fuck. Yes. <laughs> so I remember one time my mother told me, you know, like my, part of my punishment was, you know, I'm living in a hotel. I walked past the damn swimming pool just to leave, right? So I did something wrong, man. I can't remember what the shit was. But she said, don't go in that pool. You're punished today. And of course... I'm like three years old, dude. Who the fuck is not going into that pool? So as punishment, she grabbed one of those metal fucking picks, man, and she just fucking ripped my hair out Ow. to teach me a lesson because she was the one that would pick my hair out after swimming. She would wash it and condition it and all that, and then she'd take care of it. But this particular time, she said, I'm going to teach you a lesson you're never going to forget. 
and she fucked my nappy. My hair was super nappy, and she took that metal pick and just uh, pulled it all out. My hair was like, my head was fucking vibrating. Like I was, I thought I was gonna die. But it was the ultimate lesson. But from there on out, man, I said, fuck that damn Afro pig. So I had to throw it in my logo. So, Sin, do you still identify as a black militant? Well, it's been more lately. You know, I'm with the black guy shit. You know how I deal, man. Like, I think my mother didn't understand that information like that from a child that I was going to research and try to find something that correlated to advancement to the next level to get to the point quicker, you know? Like, she didn't necessarily say that white people were the devil, but she made it seem like they were the total embodiment of anything evil. But at the same time, I was in Catholic school most of the time because got to go to a private school, you know, in, in the white neighborhood if you want the best education, and she kind of went along with that. So here I am in fucking Catholic school. In comes your heavy metal. In comes your... Ozzy Osbourne, in comes your Black Sabbath, you know what I mean? So, I was going to say, I see a lot of that influence in your art and stuff. I mean, that's what caught yeah, my man. attention. You got to understand, man, black culture did not hit television yeah. other than like Soul Train, which was after Fat Albert on Saturday. Yes. That shit did not hit uh, mainstream until like 85, dude. So I, mean, I remember when the first time... What was time I listening to from the time I was a child until, you know, let's say 85? Mm-hmm. And I was watching MTV. I was listening to, you know, soft pop, soft rock radio. Like, I, even my lady, she makes fun of me. We listen to ABBA in the, on the, in the fucking car. Because I grew up listening to the Carpenters and ABBA and the Captain and Tennille. Like, and then when I hit Catholic school, that's when I got heavy metal. That's when we were like, oh, man, anything that said devil in this shit, we had yeah. to be a part of it, man. I mean, I tell, um, it surprises people when they find out, I know you know you, because some of them just follow Afro-brutality. And I had actually a gentleman the other day said, man, what's that guy is about? I was like, what guy? That Afro-brutality. I was like, Sid. And he was like, his name is Sin? I was like, yeah, his name is Sin Martinez. And he was like, man, it's like Mills. I was like, dude. I told him, I was like, that is the most non-racist son of a bitch I ever met. And he just looked at me like, I mean, he was so confused, Sin. And it was at my brother's bar. I I love that conversation that's been happening at my brother's bar lately. Because what it's been, remember, I called you about a call, but we keep that between us for now. But anyway, it's that bar, my brother's restaurant has been bringing exposing me to younger generation in the African-American community, mm-hmm. the American-Arab community, honestly, and even some of the uh, the Caucasians, the whites that come in. Yeah. Omar hangs out there, and you see how the influence my brother's doing. So I'm trying, but one of the white guys really came, and he saw the hat, and he's like, yo, dude, that's that afro brutality guy. What is he like? And I was like, he is just like the most coolest son of a bitch you ever meet. And he is, and everybody assume you were like really militant. And I, I tell him, how did you come up with that idea? And he looked at me, he's like, well, and he tried to explain to me, I was like, all right, so I opened your Instagram and showed him. I was like, pick for me, show me what anything he done here that shows he is a black militant. And he looked and looked and he said, no, I have no, none of the, uh, the it's all motivational. I was like, yes, it's hardcore, honest, blunt motivational. But I was like, where does it show it's black militant? He said, just the idea of Afro-brutality, the name. I'm like, okay, I get it. 
I get it. But I explained to them, and I want the crowd to know, like, this guy right here, it is the most non-racist guy. Like, I bring some race issues to him, and he fucking breaks it down to me to a point that I'm like, all right, Sen, you win again. <laughs> and I just not move my, shake my head. Yeah, I don't see that point well, at all. It's I very motivational. To, I think people need to understand that, and here's, here's been my thing, even in any corporation I ever worked for, because you understand, I was raised to be black militant. Yes. You know what I mean? But it was almost like the mad genius of my mother to have me in some of the richest fucking towns in the world, so to speak, <laughs> or at least that particular state, because here I am, you know, vacationing in Nantucket every fucking year with my friends or Martha's Vineyard or on their boats or in their fucking farms or going to their car dealerships. Like, you know, how can I think white people are fucking racist if my best friends take me to Nantucket every fucking year? Or, like, it it just doesn't make sense, man. I mean... So I never never fed into that narrative, you know? No. Uh, I'll share a story with you that came up during a podcast. It was it was a childhood memory. And when I was about eight years old, man, uh, my friend, one of my best friends was Brian. And he, we lived in a con, you know, like a subdivision at the time. And I would play with him for like six months. You know, I played with him for like six months to a year before I introduced him to my mother. And at the time, I wanted to show her well, you know, not all white people are the devil. You know, not all people are racist. You know, yeah. here's my best friend. Here's Brian. And she asked him some questions and found out how, you know, old he was and, you know, some likes and dislikes. And then my mom, I, you know, I turned to her and I was like, see, Ma, you was wrong. Like, what's up? Like, talk to me. She said, go bring me his mother. <laughs> said, okay, no problem. So we went right over there, dude. And I put one, not even both feet in her house, one foot in her house. She said, who brought this nigga into my house? I said, oh, shit. <laughs> she and was I right. Went back to my mother and I said, ma, you know, fuck it, you right. What about fucking adults fuck everything. For yeah, that. exactly. Say, power to the people. Like, what the <laughs> fuck am I going to say? I'm eight years old trying to prove my mother wrong. Now, in that moment, she could have just, you know, went full black militant and I would damn near be shooting white people right now. Yeah. But what she said was, just concentrate on your friends. He's a good friend. You know, concentrate on his, your friends, the ones you go to school with. Well, that's really awesome. I'm hurt, that is, yeah. That is real. I'm Don't surprised by her reaction. Their, those, their parents. Don't worry about their parents, their grandparents. Wow. They're going off old information, you know, that sort of thing. So it was... It was super discouraging and encouraging at the same time. I was going to say, I'm really surprised by her answer, knowing her militant background, though. See, this is yeah, she was not bad. It's really eye-opening, you know, like well, how she encouraged you. Well, my mother is intelligent, you. dude. Like, no, no disrespect to your mom, but I'm just like saying I am very uh, surprised because, look, I'll be honest with you. When we did this podcast, we did two Arabs uh, and a podcast. You know me, Sin. You know me really good. We were, we, me and Omar got together and did this to show people the idea, hey, not every fucking uh, uh, Arab out there is swinging a sword and saying, Allahu Akbar, right. and cutting everybody's heads left and right. Everyone's Taliban. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So right. me coming from a background like that, and the countries we were raised in, it was rough. I mean, Omar is from Iraq. I'm from Saudi Arabia. And things now opened up different because of the young generation. But what I say I'm surprised to see somebody 
kind of like your mother, you know, so militant. But then she sees that side and tell you just focus on your friend and focus he's a on good, the good thing. Side. So that is really great, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's very. Well, I tell you, man, this is, you know, earlier I said my mother had to make that decision whether she was going to continue to work for like nonprofits and black organizations, not really make no money, mm. you know, maybe put me and her and, you know, my family in harm's way, you know. So she made, she kind of, you know, if you ask people back then, you know, her, her college friends would never say it, but she sort of sold out or she she went to the white man or, you know, she sold her militancy for for uh, rest, relaxation and a better life for herself and her family. So I think my mother was ne- you got to understand, like there were different factions to the Black Panther Party. So you oh, really? Say, I, I don't know that. Yeah, man. The guys that toted the guns. That was for police brutality. That was kind of what they're doing now, even with George Floyd, where they were videoing the shit, making sure that you were all right. You know, these guys would show up when someone got pulled over by the police and they would keep their 300 feet or 500 feet or whatever it is, but they were fully armed. And if something went wrong, you know, they weren't nec- they were ready to shoot. But who's to say whether they were actually going to shoot anybody? It was really just mm-hmm. an intimidation factor. They wanted to show the police that, you know, we got rights, too, and they're in the Constitution. They're not just for white people. They're for black. But my mother, you know, a real quick story, since we're talking about her so much, she actually was going to, I believe it was like a Catholic college. And she was like, you know, damn near Valley Victorian. Like, she was super intelligent, masters and everything. But she was walking, she was sort of like a plant, an implant for the local college, you know, the Catholic college. She was one of only a few black students there. So she wanted, she was kind of sanctioned to go check out the black community. And this is in Denver, Colorado. So one time she was walking home and if if you knew my mother, and I, I wish we had pictures, but we lost them in the move from Texas to Boston. Dude, she was fucking gorgeous, man. Like, she had that good hair, as they say, because she's she's 50% Navajo Indian, 50% black, so she oh. had, like, not really nappy hair. She had the good light skin, and she wore the biggest natural you could think of, dude. It was insane. So she's walking down the street in the middle of the night, and some police officers pull up, you know, next to her and say, you know, how much for a blowjob? You know, how much to get something in the back seat right wow. now? And she's like, wow. I'm a college student. <laughs> you know, like, what the fuck are we talking about? So they kept asking her, you know, because maybe lawyers say that stuff, you know what I mean? Maybe black ones say that kind of thing. But she was dead serious, so they were dead serious and they, though they didn't get anything from her they decided to arrest her and take her downtown so wow. her first phone call was to the head nun uh, at the Catholic college and she called the Panthers and all them motherfuckers showed up and said get my mother out of there and did their little this and that and right overnight dude she was part of what they were doing but she didn't pick up guns we're talking about Denver Colorado dude like she was doing the free breakfast program. She was doing the free lunch program. And it just blew her mind that there could be homeless people in the city. You know, she grew up on a farm. And if you had to, if you were hungry, you just 
got your rifle or whatever you had, and you just cleaned it up, and you went into the woods with your parents or whatever, and you, you shot your needle, and you brought it home. So it just kind of blew our mind that people in the city with so much abundance around them could actually be hungry or homeless. So she was part of that program, dude. She wasn't trying to carry a gun. And I think because of the glitz and glamour, what the Black Panthers were doing just gets missed. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like your friend, he said, well, the word out of brutality, you know, what the fuck does that mean? Like, watching the Black Panthers, watching the Black Militants, because it wasn't just them, there was a lot of different ones that came up after them and during them and all that. Taking and talking to white people by force, man, is probably the dumbest shit you could ever think of. I mean, these guys are well-armed men and knives and guns and swords or axes and machetes. Like, they will take your life, man. They, they are very, 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 uh, they want to they wanna live, man. They're not, they're not just going to let you take them out of here without a fight, so. Yeah. So, so since I switch just, gears, um, exactly. when did you get started in CrossFit? You got started, you were one of the first African-American yeah, owners of CrossFit, started, right? Yeah, in 2007. So what got you started in CrossFit? How did you go uh, from finances to CrossFit? That's a... So in finances, I had my last job. I was making probably 175000 a year. And it was all salary. And then they gave me the corporate Amex. And I could fly around the country for free, you know, as long as I had meetings in that particular city or state and I had drivers that would drive me over if I wanted to go and this was during the internet boom but what I realized is even though I was making anywhere between six to ten thousand a week uh, I was fucking super overweight dude I was just nasty with it you know I grew up playing football I grew up eating a lot and when I got let's say older or domesticated I, I didn't necessarily stop eating and I wasn't necessarily eating the best stuff. You know, my metabolism was pretty good. So kept a six pack in high school, you know, played football or anything I wanted to. And I was always pretty good at it based on my size. So when I got into corporate America, I was just eating the same way, but I wasn't exercising. So right around the time I was making the most money, it was when I was the biggest, you know, and that was one of the things in corporate America. We didn't necessarily eat the best. We were just in survival mode all the time, and it affected my health. So why CrossFit, though? There's many other programs that are uh, effective in working out and improving your health. Why CrossFit? It seems Great question. To some, it will say it's an extreme move. It's it's high risk of injury. Uh, it's, you know, mostly targeted towards the mil- to military personnel at the beginning of CrossFit. So why go down that route? You notice I stay away from great. this because I'm not too knowledgeable about CrossFit. <laughs> no, this, other is than the budget. this is a great question. <laughs> So I actually lost the weight doing triathlons and just uh, sort of, I don't want to say bodybuilding, but more like powerlifting. So we would bench, deadlift, and squat for the most part all the time. And we thought we were like revolutionizing fitness because we would like do it for time or we would like do all three the same day. Oh, you know, like at that time it was considered risky to deadlift and squat on the same day or deadlift and press at this on the same day. And we were the guys in the gym that would just go ham with the shit. So once I lost all the weight and I went from about 315 pounds to about 193 and it was through running, it was through lifting, it was through doing triathlons that it actually happened. 
And then guess what? Everyone in my building saying, what the fuck did you do, man? You know, train me, train my kids, do all this stuff. And I started some running programs in the in the morning with some of the kids before they went to school. And at the time, Yankee Stadium, which they, they sort of still do. But where you see Yankee Stadium now. There used to be a huge running track there, and we all would kind of go there in the morning and run and, and do whatever it is. We in there, or was it a running track? I say again? Uh, sorry, so you said there was a running track in the Yankee Stadium? No, they used, where Yankee Stadium is now, Yeah, it used to be across the street. Oh, oh okay. That gotcha, makes sense. But right. they moved Yankee Stadium from where, it, from where originally was which was across the street from where it is now and what used to be there was a huge open field yeah that had a track you know like eight uh 400 meter track gotcha so i would take the kids in the morning and my point is it just got to the point that the only skills i had was swim bike run deadlift squat and press like yeah. i didn't necessarily know anything else yeah so when I saw CrossFit and it was through going to a bunch of gyms and hearing guys talk about this shit, I said, man, this got gymnastics, this has Olympic weightlifting, this has running, this has endurance, this has everything. And it's for time, which means I could, if it was a, a if I was training a person or a group, I could always hold them to a certain time frame all the time. But do you think CrossFit is dangerous for the average person to start in? Well, that's a different question. CrossFit is high intensity, man. So you better know what you're doing. You better have a good person that knows how to control people from destroying themselves. You know what I mean? Like, but but hold on a second. Let's let me ask you a question. So for the average person like yourself, you played sports in college or played sports in high school. You know how to the basics that to deadlift, for example. So or somebody in the military knows how to deadlift. When you travel them to CrossFit for time, they can do that because they already know the basics. But the average Susan from the suburbs doesn't know how to how to deadlift. How is she going to show up to CrossFit and learn to deadlift for time? within a day and not injure herself when she has never deadlifted before. So again, it's just sort of trial and error. You know, as a CrossFit owner, you're not told you, you go through a level one and they kind of take you through some of the manual things of how to teach or coach somebody, but everyone's neighborhood is different. Everyone's community is different. If you don't master the ability to make sure people can control themselves and their emotions and not destroy themselves with a deadlift workout, that's what you're seeing, dude. You're seeing a lot of people that were just trying to get rich quick because they thought, you know, CrossFit was like the uh, gold panning or panning for gold. Oh, we just opened up CrossFit. We're going to be so rich. Yeah. Without understanding what it actually takes to coach people and get them to move properly. You're seeing a lot of people take shortcuts. You're seeing a lot of people just do what they think is right, but not sticking to the script. And you'll see later on, because, you know, there's some things in the works that you'll be able to see the way I do this, but I'm so schooled in how to teach this to kids, uh, senior citizens, um, soccer moms, Totally, people that are totally out of shape. I knew how to do that because that's what my my community required. Makes sense. So you were you were one of the first uh, few African American gyms on CrossFit, right? 
Well, some think I'm the only one, and some think I was one of the first. And let me fix this. I think he's one of the realists. Sorry, I'm going to be <laughs> well, honest right now. My opinion. And, and this is a, a no holds barred podcast. And fuck those motherfuckers. It is more real. I've met some of them that I want to hit them in the mouth. <laughs> I will say this. I'm the first CrossFit that you can look at this shit and it sounds black. It look black. It's all black. Everyone and you're not doing bullshit. Trying to be like other guys. Yeah. Exactly. So how did how did it feel to be you know the first black CrossFit gym? You're showing up to a dominant uh, sport, I guess. That's mostly dominant white. Most CrossFit gyms is white or owned by white guys or ran by white guys. So what what do you, how did the, how does that feel to be you know one of the few? Does it feel uh, different? No Does it feel challenging? Can you hear me? Yes. It was no different than living in an all-white town and being the only black family. Uh, it was no different than being in corporate America and being on an, the only black on an executive board. It was no yeah. different than walking into places where you're the only black guy there. Like, you're oh, your shit, you know, Omar. You don't know how that feels. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> We've yeah. been through you that. make sure you're making the best impression so the next guy ain't got to deal with that dumb shit. Exactly. Yeah. No, it makes it makes perfect sense. So you're you're used to it through your previous experiences. I set the tone, dude. I made it real easy for every black crossfitter gym owner to just be black, man. We ain't gotta try to be like the boys on Wall Street, man. Relax, do something for your neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like, stop trying to be, you know, crossfit Wall Street. Like, just be yourself, man. And. uh only a few guys took after me, man, but most everyone just went with the, you know, let's let's look like the most popular CrossFit, you know, because they make all the money. No, exactly, but... Let me ask you a question. We were talking about that earlier today, me and Philas. Um, you know, you notice most more sports, uh, whether it's bodybuilding, whether it's football, uh, whatever sport in America, it's there is a fair representation of almost all ethnicities. You can see, you know, it's not mostly white dominant, except probably golf uh, and CrossFit. <laughs> why? Uh, why is CrossFit mostly white dominant? Is the athletes suck? They're sucking at it that they are or they're not having an opportunity to actually, you know, uh, be there. I have such a detailed answer for this, man. I'm not sure how much you want to know, but- um, Let's do an abbreviated I, version I, of it, Sin. <laughs> I will tell you like this, it is not fucking CrossFit's job to blacken it up. Okay. It is CrossFit's job to give you an opportunity to do whatever the fuck you want. And I am a, a living example of that, dude. I'm also a living example that you can be exactly who the fuck you want to be, call the fucking company, whatever it is you want to call it. And if you're smart and you understand how to navigate corporate America, you'll be successful. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so you don't think there's discrimination to keep black athletes away from CrossFit? It's just they're choosing not at to. Least, no, I've taken at least four black athletes and Asian athletes uh, and white athletes and I think she was Panamanian like I'm taking every type of culture to the CrossFit Games dude and supported them with money supported but, but them that's with different, anything though. they needed 
Because your 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 gym is different. So do you think the average? Well, my ideology is different. Exactly. Yeah. So do you think the average? Uh, let's say I'm Arab or I'm black or Mexican, and I walk into a gym in Kansas City. It's a CrossFit gym, and every single member there is white. Do you think that kind of puts in an intimidation level that hey, maybe I should go play another sport? Why the fuck am I fucking with um, a sport that's? I don't know. If people are not used to being in white neighborhoods by themselves, if people are not used to being in white corporations by themselves. If they don't know how to properly represent themselves in the community, then yeah, they're going to be totally fucking, oh my God. But guess what I did? Because I've been there so long, dude, I made sure damn near every gym owner at least had something of mine there or some kind of representation so that, you know, and they weren't doing it to blacken this shit up. They were doing it to represent sin. They were doing it to represent unity and racial unity. So people have been buying my shit, dude, for 11 years. And they did it for their own reasons, but part of it was to show the support for me. And support to me was the black community because I was talking to them directly, and you can see that. Yeah. How, how close are you, by the way, to the CEO of CrossFit, Greg, right? We talk every day. We talk okay. every day, all right. So, so we, well, let's switch gears. So the tweet that brought down an empire, basically, um, that's what I believe in, and I think even Sin pointed out. And I'm going to read this again, as painful as it is. Um, you know, it's us to bring the foe. So this tweet came out, um, I, I was like, June 6, 2020, at around 6.04 p.m., the kaboom, I call it, which was not smart. So I guess the Institute for Health uh, Metric and Evolution, they put up uh, something that says racism is a public health issue. That's during, the, I think we the were at the hype of the protests and all that time going on, um, protesting the injustice that's going on with the, the you know corrupt cops and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Greg Glassman, the CrossFit CEO, uh, tweeted, uh, I think responded to them and said, it's the Floyd 19. And with that one tweet... Mocking George Floyd, of course. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, during that time, too. It was the time with all the protests going on. Yeah. And with that one tweet, basically spread like wildfire, and it brought down the empire. So when that happened, Sin, um, I know you, and I watched you, and for the first time I saw your emotions come out, and suddenly you became... The forefront of this, um, people trying to push you up there and you were trying to. So anyway, I'm going to give it to you. Um, first of all, let's start with that moment. How did you feel when that came out? Uh, um, I've been talking to Greg for a week, dude, before he did that stupid shit. Oh, wow. And if you know anything about Greg, man, the reason why he built CrossFit was to go against fitness the way he saw it you know he discredited uh bicep curling and and bodybuilding with spray paint and all that like that was his thing that's why i left a very cushy gym that had like you know uh water fountains and they had always the latest music videos playing and there was a lot of chicks in there with no clothes on you know pretty much like i left that to go work out in the park dude so we believed in this guy, and he couldn't have been nice about this shit. He had to be super literal. He had to be super cutthroat because we all had these things or apprehensions of, man, uh, what is this thing you're doing? Because <laughs> we all started. We were all broke. We were all using our credit cards to try to figure out how to do it. You know, I was spending my money as much as I could. 
So I'm saying that to say that when you look at that and you don't, you don't know this guy, you're looking at racism. You're looking at what you consider racism. What we were looking at was force times distance equals velocity. And what I mean by that is he thought it was a mathematical thing that if you took police brutality, that it was undeniable, unexcusable, the man's calling out for his mama, like, it's disgusting. And poetically, he put his knee on the guy. You know what I mean? He put his knee on his neck, which brings back Tabernacle and all that controversy that they dealt with in the uh, in NFL. Mm-hmm. So it was just, we're looking at God, man. We're looking at a lot. We're looking at this had to go down the way it went down. And Greg is out of touch, man. He's a, he, he, I don't know what he grossed last year. I think it was 300 mil. Like, this guy is on some mansion somewhere, probably by himself, and someone's beating grapes. So I used to try that with him that way. I was sending him every piece of hate. I was like, okay, this is what the black community said. That's a, uh, you're, on blo- you're on baller alert. That's black media, like. I Hold on, before we explain, sorry to cut you off uh, on one point right there. That was a good thing you pulled off. So when you said out of touch, you're saying he is out of touch. So basically, he's not in touch with going on. So when he says shit like that, he doesn't even know if it's racist. A- am I correct? No. Let me tell you, Frank, is a lot of things, man. Uh, you know, he's probably a sexual deviant at this point, right? <laughs> uh, he's an asshole like me, and he's also a fucking genius, dude. Okay. Like, he also created some shit out of nothing and brought it over $300 million a year. Like, that's that's not something that any of us, I've never been able to do it. I don't know many guys that are able to do it. But guess what, man? There's an area in this country that if you are white and fucking rich, you can damn near say or do anything you want. I agree. And he's been living like yeah, that much. for several years, dude. Yep. He paid his wife off in a million dollars, you know, because he was the co-founder. And years ago, he paid her off in, like, double-digit millions. Like, dude, this this, this is a mentality none of us are familiar with, dude. So you're, you're this, defending this him. This is a thing that we don't understand. You're, you're defending him, but you're not... So you're saying he's I'm not, not racist. shit, man. What he said was totally terrible. Yeah. Okay. It was the worst shit ever. But he's and not... So just to confirm, I'm trying to play... I was talking to this guy for a week. So since we're trying to play devil advocate here, so you're you're not defending him. You're saying it's wrong, but he's not racist. He's just out of touch. That's he's what you're saying. Totally out of touch. But he's not racist. He's, no, he's a millionaire tycoon. You know, driving Ferraris like. So is he racist or is he not racist shit. though? We need to know. Is he or is he not? He is not a racist at all. Does not a racist body, a yeah. bone in his body. Listen, man. My mother didn't give me different levels of racism when it came to white people. She said every single white person on the planet Earth has the ability to kill you over nothing or as a part of their survival. Yeah. She didn't say, okay, th- these guys that are CEOs are less. No. She said, absolutely. She's talking to a child, man. She's not going to sit there and tell her three-year-old child that there are some that aren't as racist as others. She wanted me to find that out on my own. Hmm. So you're saying he's not racist, he's just a... Dude, I have looked at people that were going to kill me because I was black. Yeah. So so, so how, how are you... That is how, racism. Okay, but how the are racism you... Racism has now been defined as a fucking tweet 
We've advanced yeah. as the culture, and we one. don't even know it. So he's not racist. Uh, a tweet is out of touch. That's what you're saying. But how do you how do you explain CrossFit, the company, being labeled one of the worst places to work and a lot of, you know, uh, reviews came out. It says it's a very racist company to work for as a company. Not okay, a and if you go to, if you go to Tyco, they may say the same thing. I know they said the same thing about Enron. I know they said th the same thing about probably 10 or 12 other companies that I used to work for. The difference is people are at home. They're quarantined. They're on their phone all day long, all <laughs> day long. Yes. They're, replying to comments that they never replaced, replied to. They're reposting shit they never did because we're fucking bored, dude. Like, we want America to go back to normal. But until then, we're on our phones for all the information, Well, dude. shit, and I got called a racist last night because I stood up against the mayor in a post and they called me a racist. I'm like, you dumb fuck. <laughs> It Listen, was a white brother, woman. You're, you're the biggest fucking racist. <laughs> hey, I'm an Arab. We're exposing that on this podcast. I just think, man, you know, it's almost like they're just throwing a bunch of shit at the word racist. Like it's yeah. If we're really going to talk about racism, dude, it's got to come down to lynching people in public. It's got to come down to Jim Crow laws. Like we got to really sit back and look at the history of racism. And are we racist anymore? Like, I'm not even 100% sure that white people are even that racist no, anymore. But because the, the racism, the word involved. Or the ones that are literally trying to burn mm. churches and shoot guys that are running. Like, unless it comes down to that, dude, don't fucking call somebody that's on social media, leaving a comment or tweet racist because it's in bad taste. It's uncivilized. Uh, it's some asshole shit. But come on, man, unless you're talking to a guy that looked people that were racist in the eye, man. There was no fucking social media back then. It was, I'm going to shoot you, nigger, because yeah. you're black and in my neighborhood. And the only reason why they didn't is because it just so happened I lived there. And they said, oh, you live here? My bad. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, motherfucker, I live here. So, <laughs> Sorry, I'll have to love that one. I, I, can't, I can't listen to these false narratives and this dumb shit because I know what racism is, man. I've dealt with it in every way you can think of. In no, relationships. I think racism evolved, all though, kinds of things, as a word dude, it I evolved. If we're gonna if we're gonna use this word and throw it around, man, we're being totally disrespectful to the KKK, man. Yeah. If these guy, if a tweet is now racist, these guys are probably they're laughing and they're trying to ignite some shit, and we know that based on some research. But it's the dumbest shit ever, dude. Well, here's I, I will agree with Sin on here. I mean, Omar's playing devil's advocate because of uh, just the part he's doing for the <laughs> podcast, and he's just smirking here. But I think he needs to get stabbed in the head. I'm just joking, but anyway, us Arabs are always mad. Anyway, I do agree with Sin on one thing here, which I observe. Omar, you can agree with that. Remember when I explained to you, Sin, and I'm going to explain this to the audience, how we viewed African Americans uh, as us growing up in the Middle East? There you, yeah, man. Yep. So here's this uh, to explain to people. We do not have a black Arab. We don't have an, an ID for that. No. We don't have even that word. And even when I explain, I was like, who is that guy I can say he's black? It doesn't mean I offend him. I'm just talking about the skin color. It right. doesn't mean I'm demeaning him. It doesn't mean he is inferior or belong under my foot. So as growing up, 
me being swinging back and forth from here to there and growing up down and suddenly as we grow up and we had NWA, the, um, you know, the albums came out, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre and all that, Public Enemy. And we're like, okay, what is going on up there? You know, right. so we hear this stuff and we look at that as uh, you have to understand, we are a culture of warriors. We are a culture of always been like standing up, fighting and all that. Did we have slavery back in the dark time? Yes, we did. But we didn't yeah. say, hey, we're sorry for it. Shit. It, it was the timing of eons back then. Yeah. Just everything. And it was not targeted as like black slaves. We didn't have such a thing called black slaves. It was just like from Yemen or different yeah, countries. Different going countries on and yeah. that, that. So anyway, then we come here and we totally get confused when we see black on black crime. <laughs> you see with me, Sin? It's like, are you catching up with me here? So we come here. I come here in 1996. I'm like, I even look at my brother. I was like, what the fuck, man? Where blacks are sense. killing blacks? This is, doesn't make sense. I thought it was like the white man doing this to them. Or, you know. Uh, man, we're killing each other. Yes. Doesn't make sense. And we all talk to each other. We're like, why? And then it was like, I'm a black man. I'm like, well, but you're an American. Yeah. It, it, I'm going to share with you two things. I hope you're done. Yeah. One is my first CrossFit team was called NWA. <laughs> oh, wow. I, had, I had a racist white dude on there, man. We're gonna we're gonna tell our story pretty soon. But wow. This guy in middle of the middle of Texas, man, he started following me on Facebook because of the CrossFit shit, and we started doing spot programs online and that sort of thing. I was just trying to get my feet wet to see. If I could develop a lot, you know, an audience online, I would do my workouts, and he did. But this one guy, man, he just reached out, he said, you know, tell me about this smart program, and I would tell him in great detail. And he would damn near may send a video every fucking day, dude, and he was super fucking strong. His name is uh, Mason Newton. But then, I think it was like a month or two, maybe three months in, he goes, Sam, I got it. You know, can I call you? What's your number? I said, yeah, 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 call me. He says, Sam, you know, and I don't know. I don't, you know, it, it, it's tender when it comes to his family, man. Like, he, I don't think he's openly going to say that his, his parents or his family was part of the KKK or anything like that. But I get a good sense that they were pretty close to, to cross burnings, if you, if, if you know what I mean. Yes. So there's this guy in the middle of Texas. And you gotta understand, man, this was 10 years ago. Like, this is my introduction to CrossFit and CrossFitters. And I can share these stories all day, man, because even at my level one, this is how you get certified. Dude, I had Navy SEALs in there, I had fucking Rangers in there, and they were part of the staff. Now imagine a black man from fucking Harlem meeting and, and vibing and going to dinner with Navy SEALs. Like, and this was in 2008, dude. This is 2008. Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? I'm coming from all of it. The only thing I got in common with these guys is that we can CrossFit. And that's really how we started this community, man. We didn't give a fuck who you were or what your background was. If you did CrossFit, it was almost like you was in a different fraternity. And I was kind of like their black friend, you know what I mean? From just like us, my Pretty much, Black yeah. militant friend, you know, from 2008. Yeah. And that's how they treated me this whole time, man. You got to understand, like, <laughs> I turned after brutality into a covert operation to help heal the world of racism. And I, I had that idea my entire life, too, but I wasn't sure how to, to do it. But with CrossFit, this was my first time at that. 
And then everything started talking to me. My ancestors started talking to me at night. My parents, you know, not not literally, but just remembering things that they had said to me or done with me or whatever the case is. And this was my first time to make it a total black-owned. You knew, it, based on the name, you it would just fuck your head up like, oh, this is some black shit. Mm-hmm. And I went into what some would consider at this point the most racist fitness genre in the world. And these guys opened their arms, their wallets, their everything to what I was doing, man. I don't, I just never saw racism in that place. What I saw was, are you a man of your word? You know, are you someone that will finish the workout? Are you going to give us a bunch of excuses? Are you someone that if I call you and ask you to do something, are you going to give me a bunch of him and all, or are you going to jump to it? Yeah. And I just had so much corporate training and so much integrity that anytime these guys asked me to do shit, man, I just did it. If it was long as it wasn't something crazy and something that wasn't against my morals, I just did it. And I didn't put the shit on Instagram or no shit. Yeah. I've handled a lot of contracts on the low, dude. I've handled a lot of disputes within CrossFit on the fucking low, dude. I didn't tell nobody. So going back to CrossFit again, though, and Greg. Okay, so we say you say he's out of touch. Um, but during the time when things are going up, popping up, but there's been some things, and I'm not saying Greg, the institution itself, you kind of, they kind of put you to the side because you would think you were the blackjack guy, right? Well, what, what revealed, if you read some of those emails that yes, I Yes, that's, that's what I'm trying to get to, and I want to give room to you because I don't know if our audience has been following Sin, but Sin have literally put, what is it, 10-year-old emails you yep. put online? 10-year-old emails. Yeah, dude. and some of it I was like, shit, even Omar, when he called me, he was like, I don't know this shit is that deep. I was like, dude, I, I, yeah. I know the dude that I didn't know is that deep. <laughs> I was My jaw dropped just reading some of the stuff that was written there. If you want to enlighten our crowd... I'm giving you the door, brother. Well, about 10, okay, so in 2008 is when I started to get certified. Now, I was going to some of the first CrossFit certifications ever. Mm -hmm. So I'm literally meeting, like, the staff and Greg and his staff, like, at every single cert from 2008, man, probably every single one, honestly. There was someone from CrossFit HQ. There was someone from Rogue Fitness, like, there were representatives from these corporations, you know, these places that became corporations and they were always there and I was always there and we always got along. But when Greg, cause here's, here's the story on that. I would see these guys and mm. me and my crew, we would have meetings and debates on whether we should affiliate with CrossFit. We would decide, ah, these look like a bunch of racist motherfuckers, man. What are we doing? Like, yeah. If we do this, man, the black community might turn on us. They might be like, yo, you some coons or you some Uncle Toms or some shit. So we knew that from us, from the black community, CrossFit is always going to be considered racist or always going to be considered golf. Like it's always going to be considered out of our reach, out of our touch. So I told these guys, you know, first time they asked me, I was like, eh, you know, come to Harlem and then we'll talk. Yeah. So then I got the call. We're coming to Harlem, Sid. What's up? I said, oh, shit. <laughs> so then they came and I hosted them. And I still wasn't affiliated, dude. And they didn't find that out until a few weeks later. Then I got a call from the affiliate director. Who's, her name was Lisa Lugo. And she's actually the one that got 
you know, convince Greg to come to Harlem. She had met me a few times. She understood what I was doing. So then she calls me two weeks later, like, what's up, Sin? You're still not affiliated. I said, girl, I ain't got the money. She said, the shit's free. Now what? I said, fuck. <laughs> so I built Avid Brutality two weeks later, man, because I wanted anyone from the black community, white community, not to sit there and say, oh, you did that shucking and jiving Uncle Tom shit to be in CrossFit and said, nah, I made a, a totally black owned, black militant company to work with CrossFit so I could bring something to the community. So if you're with me thus far, in 2009, when I met Greg, yeah. him and I, because this is 2009, dude, they're barely Facebook, you know what I mean? Let alone all this other shit. So I used to have to talk through his staff to get messages to him. I mean, it was really ridiculous. But him and I talked about, okay, Sid, I, I want to open something up in Harlem. What are you thinking? I said, eh, let's just put it in the hood. And he's like, well, okay, that makes sense. How much do we charge? I said, eh, you're going to have to make the shit free, Greg. I hate to tell you, but, you know, like, we're going to have to make the shit free, and I'm going to have to be the fucking most professional coach ever because we ain't going to know who's going to walk in there. We're going to have to be ready for anything. So we laughed about this shit, but he had a bunch of equipment at in uh, Virginia Beach. It was referred to as the East Coast Training Center. And one of my good friends, Tony Blower, which I was talking to before we got on here, um, he had a, he was moving to California, but they had so much shit, dude. So they literally sent me a list after Greg and I had spoke about what they had. And I said, fuck, oh, man, look at all this shit. But what they didn't understand was I was always the guy that was at the executive table with these guys. And I would not just negotiate contracts for myself. I would negotiate shit for other affiliates that just didn't have that fucking juice. And you were not so getting anything out of this? What's that? Were you getting anything out of this or are you just doing it for the love of it? Hear me out. Just hear me out. Okay. Sorry. So, Greg was doing, we already found a few places in Harlem that we were going to go for and he was already getting a budget. He was like, you know what I'm How much is it out there? I said, we could probably go with like three to five thousand a month. You pay that, you put in all the free equipment, and I will just make sure that the shit runs very well. He's like, all right, deal, and we jump on this shit. But interacting with his staff is where those emails come from. So not only did they take away my free affiliation, but they said the shit was for a year. Like, yeah, we're just paying for this shit for a year, man. That's, that's where some of those emails come from, like, What's this guy that we were asking? He's got these successful businesses. Why the fuck you can't pay this thousand dollars, man? What's wrong with this guy? Yeah. So they started turning on me because I'm a business guy. If I shake hands with the CEO and he tells me this shit is free, this shit is free, y'all. Yeah, it was uh, actually it was a female that started uh, the whole buzz to turn against you, right? Right. So. You're looking at two emails. One is Lisa Lugo. Anytime you see the word Lisa, that's the one that brought Ray to Harlem. That's the one that gave me the free affiliation. That's the one that then said the shit was just for a year to get me started. Whatever. And then that's when what's funny is, and there's some emails I didn't I didn't post. I really didn't even screenshot them. I just let it go. But Ray's sister, which is uh, Kathy Glassman. 
We've talked so many times. She helped me get my affiliate name. She helped me with insurance to get affiliated, the entire thing. So when it came time to pay and she started talking all that shit, she was like, let me just call him. She called me, dude, and in five minutes I had the shit paid. So it was really just me trying to negotiate with a corporation on something that we should call and we didn't have a contract with. And I failed and paid the shit. But they, in the midst, they were talking that shit. Now, in terms of the equipment and the free CrossFit gym in Harlem back in 2009, Lizbeth. So when you see the one that says Lizbeth, she's the one that when she sent me, I don't even know who sent me the fucking list. It might have been her. It might have been someone else. They had 150 GHPs, dude. I said, well, shit, give me 50 of them. <laughs> like, a third is not bad. And then I asked for a bunch of rowers and a bunch of other shit. And all they focused on was the 50 GHDs. Oh, my God. This guy wants 50 GHDs. He must be out of his mind. But I was negotiating. Like, I'm not going to ask for for exactly what I need. I'm going to ask for more. I'm a business guy, right? So exactly, yeah. if I'm trying to sell a company for half a mil, I'm going to say I need a mil. And if I settle a half a mil, we good. So I thought they were going to negotiate with me, man. They saw that shit. They was like, oh, this fucking guy is using you, Greg. He's just using you, man. And they started talking this. Yeah, that was that email here. I saw, like putting yeah. it like you're a user, and I'm like, I'm like, wow, dude. Using the race cards. Yep, I saw like that, that one too. Dude, it, it was just disappointing to see, but I've had those emails for months, man. I just didn't know when. And I didn't know if I was ever gonna use them. And I asked each one of them, bitch, you really said this shit? <laughs> so I gave them a chance to try to explain themselves and that's what some of the posts were it was Lizbeth trying to explain herself Lisa didn't even she didn't even bother dude she called me and said you're gonna use that shit I said 10 years ago against me I said yeah well it's the first time I'm asking man what's up like, yeah I saw her Facebook during this time what was it back in June is it when you exposed that and then she goes, oh, Sin is trying to uh, turn it to a, a whole uh, race card while I got sexually assaulted by Greg. I'm like, what the hell? This had to Why be. Why are you taking that? Oh, no, yeah. no. She's trying to take that whole, and he exposed her, actually. Sin, you were one of the said that called her out. And Sin went on her post. She said, no, man, she's full of bullshit. Nothing happened. <laughs> right. But, you know, what I'm saying is Greg and I shook on this shit 11 years ago, man. And when all this shit hit, and I contacted him a week before all the controversy and the tweet. We were already settled. He already settled. He's like, you know what, Sin? I fucked up. I sent him the fucking emails. He was like, yeah, that goddamn Lizbeth. She's got a mouth on her. Like, we were already laughing at the shit. And we already had settled that we were definitely going to do this together. And we already settled that we were going to make sure that other cities took care, got taken care of, too. What really upsets me is two things. One is, Greg said this dumb shit. He was already saying this shit to me. He didn't call it Floyd 19, but he had this theory in his head that he kept trying to explain to me. And all I had to say was like, Greg, shut the fuck up, man. Let's handle this. But I didn't. I just let him vent. You know, a lot of these guys, you never know what they're doing, man. They might be at the bar, you know. They might have just left the bar. You have no idea what their mindset is. So I just let them vent, man. Like, just... Are you done? Can we get back to the point, you know? And then to see him do that shit, man, was just painful, man. It was like, I felt like a failure, dude. I felt like 
here he is. I can't. I and can't honestly, this is one thing I admire about you. And I said that when I called you and I was hurt. And you were kind of like cool about it, but I was like, because I know who you are, you know, and I'm, and it's not like turning oh, a tender moment between two brothers, because I know what a loving, genuine soul you are. I'm like, man, how the fuck? And I say this by my own heart, kept it in you for 10 years and you looked at them and you know, they were the snakes. And it's just well, like, I gotta thing, admire dude. that. What just kept you? I mean, that's a stat because I know what a passionate human being you are and I know what a caring human being you are, but just reading word for word, somebody you trust to just like knife you, how do you keep it up together for 10 years? Well, right? listen, man, I was in corporate America for 25 years, man. Yeah, well, <laughs> that answer is it right there. I should be quiet. black executive <laughs> Pretty much. doesn't get, you know, oh, you touched my butt and now you're in <laughs> HR and you're trying to explain why you grabbed their ass like, dude, I've been through everything you could possibly think of, man. False accusations, overspending my budget, mm. people acting like I'm stealing. like. And what I learned from uh, human resources, keep a fucking paper trail, man. You never know when you got to use it, and you never use it too early, and you never use the shit too late. You use it when you need to, when you're trying to prove a point. And my point to, uh, let's just say CrossFit, because I kept tagging him, was if this fool said this racist shit, let me tell you why. Because his only fucking black friend who he fucking flew all the way to Harlem to convince him to be part of his organization, hello, to be uh, part of his organization is is a user. He's a race car guy, because guess what? I spend so much more time with his staff than I ever have with Greg, man. And if they're feeding him this narrative 10 years later or 11 years later, he wanted to show he's one of the good old boys. Like, eh, forget that black community, man. This is what's up. And I tried to show that, man, because if they've been whispering in his, in his ear to his only black affiliate, like officially... Because nobody else in CrossFit got a black name like mine, man. Okay. So if I'm the blackest affiliate, I am the representation of the yeah. black community. And his staff has been telling him for 10, who knows how many years, that this guy is some race car user and all this other shit. And guess what, man? You might fuck around and be upset yeah. that your one black friend who all of a sudden now that boy is happening. He's fucking texting you after not talking to you for time to talk to Greg directly, man. Probably eight years, dude. Yeah, I remember you even sent a text with your <laughs> with his driver's license. You were gonna come down or some shit like oh, that. Man, stop it. <laughs> we can't we can't say this. All right, we'll edit that out. out. We'll, we'll, we'll edit that, that out. So, so quick but question for you. So, what's will, where's your gym this. now? I will say this. Yes. I will say this for your podcast, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna edit that out, but go ahead. Yeah. Like, I was ready to go to war, man. Yeah, I do remember. I had stood up so many times quietly with these same cops. You know how many times I've had to answer why there's no blacks in CrossFit or not enough? You know how many times I've answered that question in 11 years, dude? Easily 100. Easily 100. In all kinds of ways, whether it was just people on the street or people that came to my gym. You know, that's why it just said CrossFit all of them on the sign, man. It was half brutality everywhere when you walked in that shit. Yeah. And that's really, honestly, dude, that's what, I don't want to say great, but I'll definitely give it to Rob Wolf and Greg Everett and a few of these other guys. 
And we all started at the same time, but we thought this guy was a maniac. Like, this guy might do some dumb shit one day. So we all left CrossFit, and I left CrossFit six years ago. Mm. And I did have brutality full time, and then after, didn't never look back. Mm. But when my community was in need, and everything, this guy said some old dumb shit. Yeah. I had to show up, man. I had to get past my own ego or my own concerns about how it would look to the world, man. And I had to say, man, there's something beautiful here because I'll share this with you, man. That fucking CrossFit community took out all hate in my heart for white people. Wow. That fucked up racist, whatever community you want to call it. All this goodwill that they did with me and these are fucking SEALs and Army Rangers and captains and lieutenants of the NYPD. Like, dude, how am I going to hate somebody when I created something from the time I was six years old and then created something officially in 2009 and everyone loved it. Yeah. Like, how, how did I hate something that I, or people that have supported me with See, some shit I made that was totally black, totally militant, I said you are a treasure. Do is embrace it and love it. How yep. the fuck? But see, that's I the thing. I, said, I, I wish a lot of people would think like you. That's why when I introduced you, I said this was a man treasure. Up, yep. This is why I said you're a treasure. Because not a lot will take that one step back and look at it the way you look at things. And I'm how you break it down. You're oh. my brother, so I'm going to tell you again. I was ready to go to war. Let me tell you what CrossFit taught me. Sometimes you got to use mafia tactics to make shit work. Yes. Now, I'll share with you a quick story, man. One of my CrossFit guys that came from, like, I don't know, man, Santa Cruz or somewhere in California, he fucking flew all the way out to New York City to meet me, and he wanted me to teach him how to do a muscle-up in Harlem. (laughs) <laughs> so we didn't even have a gym at the time, dude. We had to go to some basketball hoop and we had to set the rings up. And sure enough, that motherfucker got right up on that shit. And he would never forget it for the rest of his life that he drove all the way to let Sin teach him how to do a muscle up. So fast forward to about maybe a year ago when I did the Fashion Week thing. So when I did Harlem Fashion Week, it was all skateboard shit. And it was my logo literally walking up and down the fucking road. Yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing that. I yes. didn't have my own skateboards. This guy was in California. He gave me a six-week turnaround. And it was three months later. I didn't have shit. So I ended up having to do Harlem Fashion Week with other people's skateboards and all that. So something hit me. I, I put it on Facebook. I'm like, listen, who lives near, and I can't remember where his shop is, but it's near Santa Cruz. I said, who lives near Santa Cruz? Message me right now. About seven people messaged me. They said, Sam, what do you need? And that same guy that came to Harlem and did his muscle up, his name is uh, Greg Craig Smith or something like that. Big, tall, white boy. I don't even know what he does for a living. I said, listen, man, I gave him the address. I said, go see what's going on with my skateboards. He says, Sam, you got it. He drove out there the next day, and he took a picture of it. He walked in. He said, where's Sin, you know, where's Sin shit? Oh, who's Sin? I said, he said, Afro brutality in Harlem. Where's his shit? He said, oh, he started giving him the him and all, all this shit. So he took a picture of the owner and then texted to me. Then I texted back to the owner. I said, so how do you want to play this? 
<laughs> and guess what, man? My fucking skateboard showed up a week later. Wow. With videos, with extras. You know? That worked out pretty well. So, I'll tell you, man, I had Greg's fucking driver's license, dude. And I was going to do the same exact thing. Like, all right, who lives over here? Message me now. And I was going to get the roughest and the toughest. And we were going to go see this guy because you ain't going to have Sin doing all these fucking favors for you. And then he turns around and asks you for one favor and you're going to give him his ass to kiss. Uh Uh-uh, not my world, dude. Exactly. So quick question for you before we wrap it up for the day. I have two questions for you, actually. The first one is, where do you see the, the future of CrossFit? Obviously, Greg stepped down as the CEO. I really don't care, man. He I does- care about the community. I don't care about the corporate structure. So I care about the, the people, the relationships that I've built over these years. And a lot of these CrossFit HQ guys don't even work there no more. They were laid off five years ago, six years ago, whatever it may be. So openly... They've openly pledged themselves to what I'm doing. Um, I hope they get this shit together, man. I, I believe I'm being uh, nominated for the advisory board of the Northeast. Wow. I heard it yes, I heard it a few days ago. I put a contract in front of them that's a that great put together that I will build a thousand CrossFit gyms in inner cities over the next 10 years. Oh, and wow. they're going to put a they're going to name a few after me where I would already had some, you know, some relationships just to make it look sweet. That's so in terms deal. of the corporation and where they're going, dude, like I got out six years ago, man. I just came to do some MLK shit and make it unity. And the reason why I said that was because I was Malcolm X with it real quick until he replied to my text message. And I was like, OK, call off the dogs, call <laughs> off the dogs. And I went with the love, man, because he wasn't giving me no hate, man. He was giving me straight love. And we negotiated that contract the same day I talked to him, man. He was having his people write this shit up. And we were talking about bank accounts and where he can make the first deposit. So I don't know, man. CrossFit, you know, I love them. They gave me my start. They showed what I can do within the most racist community, you know, or what some consider. And uh, it was a pilot program for me, dude. And I, I think I came out successful. It just took 11 years. Makes sense. And my other question is, what's going on with the Afro Brutality website? Are you launching new products? Uh, yeah, we're trying. So my website guys are turning on me, man. Like, we're not making enough money and all this stupid shit. So I've called a few of these guys that pledged all this money to me and say, listen, man, you, you got to go there and fix this shit. So... Um, in terms of the website and merch, man, that was, those were just messages for me, man. It really wasn't my core. I mean, it became my core business because I just make dope shit. But it really wasn't the mission, man. You know, the mission was, because I know these military guys, because I know these NYPD guys, it's like, let's create real change in my community, dude. Yep. So I had an initiative about three years ago to get canine pit bulls. Uh, in Harlem. I remember her. That was so crazy yeah, and man, wild. I want, I want black people to see cops walking down the street with vicious pit bulls, man. I think it'll change some perception damn near overnight and this shit will go viral. Oh, well. The second thing I want to do is the relations are terrible. It's actually a three piece initiative. So the relations between cops and, and the community is just terrible and it's getting worse damn near every day. Dude, I just saw a car drive by and said, fuck the police. Like, what are we doing? Like, these guys help us. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a... That's always been that way, so... 
Yeah, I wanted to do this. I talked to some of the black trainers out of New York City, and we're going to pull up to those same parts that I used to work out at, and we're going to have plain clothes tops, and we're going to have permits and everything, and we're going to make some photo ops, because what's going to happen is they're going to be working alongside cops, and when they're done, those cops that are plain clothes are going to introduce themselves and tell them what rank they are and where they work, and so I just, I think the narrative you know, damage to the world now. It's just upside down, dude. That's yeah. why I put my logo upside down because it's just crazy right now. Yeah. And I'm going to keep it that way until shit changes. But the true advocacy initiative was to use these same relationships that I built within CrossFit and within my own community through CrossFit and create real change in my community just to people to think. Well, brother, um, I'm going to make an announcement here on podcast. Me and Sin are actually working on bringing him to KC, by the way, to Warriors Academy. Um, we're just trying to see what's going on with this COVID crap. <laughs> but Sin is planning to come here, and I'm going to call it an evening with Sin, where he's going to sit down and have a nice chit-chat with everyone. So we're and excited. to come with some real shit, man. Don't have me answering some dumb shit. <laughs> brother, that's not going to be you like that. You should know me, shit. brother. <laughs> <laughs> I never do that to you. I'm not going to put you there. People are going to... Yeah, but uh, we're going to have an amazing... We, we didn't put a date yet because, you know, I mean, like Omar just said in the beginning, things keep changing left and right, but send me and him are in contact. And man, I love you, my brother. I appreciate everything you do. I am so honored to have you in the podcast. I think Omar on my own is really happy to get to introduce to you and we can't wait to have you here, my brother. It was great uh, having you on the show. You know, I will say this. I don't know if there's a question of the day or a moral of the story. No, I'll leave it moral of the story. We'll leave it to you, my brother. <laughs> I mean, you're talking to a, a black man that was born to be a black militant or a black panther. Yes. And I hated white people, dude. I was scared of them. I hated them. And I understood that to, to not hate them, I had to be around people that I thought were super racist and might kill me. And it just so happened to be CrossFit. And I met so many people that racially would just trigger me, like, uh, Navy SEAL, you done killed about five of us at least. Like, you know, like, I started getting these triggers that I couldn't justify anymore. Mm -hmm. So here I am working out with the most racist people or the most racist corporation, or however you want to see that. And I'm getting nothing but love. Like, I couldn't just then turn my narrative to some militant shit because it just never fit, man. So it took those little workouts I did with them and those little pictures they were posed and the money they gave me and the shirts we did together. You're talking to someone that was supposed to hate white people. And it's not so much that I love them. I love them for who they are, man. Don't fucking try to be non-racist if you're racist. Just yeah. make sure we can have be a conversation you. and don't kill a nigga. Like, <laughs> that's a great message well Sin it was great having you on the show I uh, look forward to having you in Kansas City uh, hopefully after this COVID-19 yeah, I'm coming soon just, just let me know man I told him I cleared my schedule yeah, for sure we'll, we'll link up uh, your Instagram and your website and uh, we'd appreciate you guys if you leave review on the podcast we're ba definitely back in the swing of things and uh, go follow Sin and give him some love on his uh, Instagram pages thank you man thank well, you. appreciate it brother thank you